Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Today at a greater sacrifice. And I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to have a lot of scripture, so keep your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 9 and 10. And uh, we're going to go a little deeper today. So stay with me as we study God's Word. I just want to unpack what God's Word has to tell us. Uh, the book of Hebrews, let me give you a little background, then we're going to read the scripture. Hebrews, the whole theme of the book is Jesus Christ is greater. He is greater. He is greater than everything, anything, anyone. Jesus is greater. And so you start at the very beginning and you begin to understand he's greater than all the prophets. He is greater than any of the angels out there. He was greater than Moses who goes up on Mount Sinai and gets the law. He's greater than the lawgiver. He is greater than Joshua who took them into the promised land. And you have all these things about how Christ is greater than anything else, anyone else who's ever come along. He's also a greater priesthood. You get about the middle of uh, Hebrews 6 and 7. He says uh, there's a priesthood after Aaron's priesthood, but Jesus' priesthood wasn't after Aaron's priesthood. It was after Melchizedek. And uh, in fact, they paid tithes to Melchizedek. He is the greater one of all, and so Christ is greater. He is our great, great high priest. And then he is a greater covenant. The new covenant through Jesus Christ is much greater. And he, there's a greater sanctuary in heaven itself. And he talked about the difference in the temporary tabernacle with all the candlestick and the table of showbread and the altar of incense and the ark of the covenant and the brazen altar and the, and the basin they would wash in. He said those were a type of what was to come in the heavenly realms, and it's all fulfilled through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's greater, greater, greater. Today we're going to look at a greater sacrifice, and we're going to spend our time in Hebrews 9 and Hebrews 10. So let's stand together as we look at God's word this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, and I'll begin with verse number 1. The law is only a shadow of good things that are coming. Not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifice repeatedly, repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. Because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Jump down to verse number 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Amen, let us pray. Father, we we love you so much. We thank you, God, for your sweet presence here today, your awesome love for us that we sang about, God. And we thank you that that love was shown on Calvary on the cross. And we thank you that your sacrifice is absolutely greater I thank you for the power in the blood today. And I pray that your blood will have its effectual work in our house this morning. Open up the word of God, we pray, in a new and living way. We ask it in your mighty name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. You may be seated.
There was an historian and a contemporary of Jesus Christ. His name was Josephus, and he wrote uh, historical documents, and he talked about Jesus Christ, and he talked about the, the temple and the sacrificial systems as they existed in the day of Christ Jesus. And he said it was estimated that at Passover time, when all the Israelites would bring their sacrifices to be offered up, there would be as many as 250,000 lambs, sheep, that would be killed on that one day. Can you imagine the line of lambs being slaughtered one after the other, one after the other, one after the other? The endless flow of lambs being brought from all over the Roman Empire, many sold right there at the outer gates uh, in the temple courts as they were selling the sacrifices and changing the money. And you get the scene at Passover time. They said there was so much blood that ran out that day that the Kidron Valley, the, the stream that flowed down at the basin of that valley would even turn red with the blood of all the animals that had been slaughtered. It's an amazing, and they would do it year after year. The problem was every one of those sacrifices had very severe shortcomings. The writer says in verse number one of chapter 10, all those sacrifices, all the blood of bulls and goats was only a shadow of that which is yet to come. Now let me define a shadow for you. A shadow is simply form without reality. In other words, you have a tree, you have the sun, and you have a a silhouette or a shadow on the ground. That is not the tree. The reality is the tree. It is only a shadow of that which is, it's representing. He says that the system was only temporary, it was only a picture of what Jesus Christ would do on the cross of Calvary. So every single animal, regardless of what it was, was a picture of the perfect sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, or a very shadow. In fact, the very fact that it had to be offered every single day, year after year, repeated over and over again, pointed to the inherent weakness of the old covenant. It never, once and for all, could take away sin. There was, there was many shortcomings. Jump down, if you will, look at verse five of this same chapter. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you did not desire, but a body prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then he said, here am I. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. First, he said, sacrifice and offerings. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. In other words, God's saying it's, it's a temporary system. That's not what pleases me. It's the heart. It's not what you're doing on the outside. And he said the law required them, so you kept doing them. But then he says in verse number 10, and by that will, it's at verse 9, then he said, here am I, I have come to do your will. Now he's saying it all pointed to the one, Jesus Christ, who said, I have come to do my heavenly Father's will. He sets aside the first, the Old Testament sacrifices, to establish the second, which is the sacrifice of himself. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of the Lord, through the sacrifice of one body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Now, verse number five said that Jesus Christ would prepare for himself a body. We just had Christmas time. And what was Christmas all about? God becoming flesh. It was God preparing for himself a body. 
and he would come down and he would take on flesh and he would dwell among us and he would walk among us. He would understand everything we felt, every one of our emotions. He would go through that. He would go through the pain and agony of the cross. What was God doing when Jesus Christ came? He was preparing a body for himself. That body would become our sacrifice, not bulls, not goats, not lambs, not turtle dove. It would only be through the greater sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, 4 says, it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It was inadequate, impossible, could never remove sins. Now, if that's the case, how then are Abraham and Moses and David and these Old Testament saints, how come they're in the heavenly realms now with that great cloud of witnesses we see in Hebrews chapter 11? You know, if the blood of bulls and goats couldn't save them, how they get saved? How are they in heaven today? It's the same way every single one of us are saved today by faith. And every time they offered up a lamb or a goat, they had faith in a better Messiah, a new covenant, a way that was going to come. And so it was their faith, by faith they were saved, not the offering of the bulls and goats. It was their faith that led them to do that. Understand what I'm saying? They're saved in the very same way we are. And what literally happens is God forgives these Old Testament saints on credit. Now let me explain that to you. How many have ever had to buy a car on credit? Let me see your hand. Okay, you've had to go in and finance a car. And so you go in and the salesman is there and he says, you just sign these papers right now. You can walk out of this door. You can drive this car away. It's yours. You can have it. You know, how many know it's not really yours? The finance company still owns it. But you get the privilege of driving it. But every single month when that payment stub comes in the mail, it is a reminder that you don't own it. You simply get to use it. And you wait for that day, three years, I think now they extend it to five years and six years and seven years so anybody can come along and buy a car. You're waiting for that day when it says paid in full, right? And the car's finally mine. I, 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 I own it outright. It's nobody else's because I stopped making payments. Every bull that was killed, every lamb that was killed, it was their monthly payments that were coming due. But it would point to a day when Jesus Christ would hang on the cross. And when he said these words, it is finished, it literally means paid in full. I have covered every sacrifice that's ever been made. I have taken every sin away by my own blood, past, present, and future. It is finished, paid in full through the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? God did it for us. Until then, they could not enter into the full inheritance that God had in store for them. But, but then, on the cross, he took away every sin, past and present. Ephesians has this picture in Ephesians 4 of him going down into the, into the realms of death after his death on the cross and taking captivity captive with him in glory. And then it says, and then he gave gifts back to men. And you almost have this conception in the heavenly realms, spiritual realms, of God releasing every single Old Testament saint into his realm of glory with him. Incredible. Now, why is Jesus' sacrifice greater? I want to give you three things. Jot these down, and we're going to move quickly. First of all, number one, the blood of Jesus Christ makes us holy. His blood makes us holy. Look at verse number 10. 
And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, let me talk about that holy sanctification process. They had this tabernacle in the Old Testament. They had a temple later that replaced that in Jerusalem. And what they would do is the priests would come in and they would take blood, they would sacrifice the blood, and then they would take that blood and some hyssop and they would sprinkle it on the brazen altar. They would sprinkle it on the candelabra, the, the, the uh, candlelight that was in the room that lit up the inside of the tabernacle. They would sprinkle it on the altar, the brazen altar, and all the different articles, the table of showbread, all those different articles inside the tabernacle would be sanctified for use by blood. They would sprinkle it on there, and that would make those vessels to be able to be used in, in the sacrificial system, cleansed by blood. Go back to Hebrews 9.21. He describes that process. He says, in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. Blood. To make it holy, to make it useful. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. In other words, God in the Old Testament could could cleanse physical candlesticks and physical tables of showbread with the blood of bulls and goats, but spiritual habitations for God would need a greater sacrifice. That could never be used to cleanse our conscience or what is on the inside of us. And you see that in the context of the entire chapter because he goes up in verse number nine and he says this. He says, this is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifice being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. The blood of bulls could never cleanse the inside. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying into the time of the new owner. When Christ came as a high priest of good things that are already here, he went through the greater, more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. Now, there's an allusion to the tabernacle of the heavenly realms, uh, but it's more about our spiritual nature because now God is in us. He is with us. We are the tabernacle and the temple of the living God, and he dwells inside of us. So to cleanse these temples, there had to be a greater, better sacrifice. Hmm. He did not enter by means of blood of bull, of goats and calves, but he entered by the most holy place once and for all, what? By his own blood. Having obtained eternal redemption. Verse 13, the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they can be outwardly clean. How much more, how much greater then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. In other words, When I accept the Lord Jesus Christ, his blood comes in and it cleanses my conscience or it cleanses my temple. And God lives inside of me through his Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus Christ makes me holy and righteous because he takes away my sin. Therefore, my friends, it is a much greater, greater sacrifice. He prepares my life 
So the Spirit of God can come and dwell inside of me. And my life first has to be cleansed, and it can only be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when it's cleansed, I can worship the Lord and I can serve the Lord, which is what all the elements in the tabernacle were meant to do. Are you getting this? Now, I want to take you to something. I want to take you to Exodus 24. Turn there. Let me give you the background. I can't read the whole chapter, but it is absolutely amazing. I I saw this, and I want to share it with you. Moses comes down off the mountain, and he is going to do some things. And so the first thing God tells him to do is build an altar. And he's going to build an offering. He's going to offer up sacrifices. And animals are going to be killed. And he offers up burnt offerings and peace offerings. And you see that in the, in the dialogue there. And he takes the blood of the bulls and he puts it in a basin. Half of that blood he took and he splashed it on the altar. So he takes the blood, he splashes it all over the altar upon which all the sacrifices are going to be made. He is making it fit for the sacrifice. Now he has around him his 70 elders. They are all standing there. They are all around him. And he does something. He takes out the law and he begins to read the law. And after he gets done reading the law, all the elders, the Bible said, they say, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. But then he does something else. And I want you to pick it up in verse number eight, this story with me if you would. And Moses took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people. Now, he's already sprinkled half of it on the altar. He takes the blood and he sprinkles it. So he takes that hyssop and he's sprinkling the blood and it's going all over their 70 people. It's hitting them in the face. It's running down their garments. It's hitting their beards. And he's sprinkling it all over all the elders. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Now, look at the next verse. And Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. They saw God. No man had ever seen God. In fact, the Bible says, if you see God, you'll die. But these 70 saw God. How could they now see God? Because they have just been covered in the blood. Hmm. They saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. They're beginning to see God in all his glory. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. You see, normally they would be killed. But God doesn't raise his hands against them. They saw God and they ate and they drank. After they were sprinkled with the blood, they could see God. Now, follow me here for just a moment. Moses then would go up on top of the mountain again, get the entire law, the entire Ten Commandments, and in that law would be contained the pattern for the tabernacle. When he came down inside the tabernacle, he says, put the Ark of the Covenant, put a veil in front of that, and no one can ever come in again into the presence of the glory of God because a veil separated them. And only one day a year could the high priest ever go in through the veil and offer sacrifice for all the children of Israel. And they could go into the Holy of Holies. In other words, the blood could give them access into the presence of God. Now listen to me. Here's the point today. We don't come to God through our own righteousness. 
You can never have access to him. You can never see God through your own strength, through your own might, through your own great looks, through your own good qualifications, through your own degree, through your own goodness. I will tell you, we have none. My righteousness is as filthy rags. Mm. We can only come through having our conscience and our heart cleansed by the blood. And when we are purified and made holy by the blood, it is then I have access to God. It's then I can see God. It's then I can worship him. It's then I can know him. It's then I can experience him. In the same way, now jump back. He says it in chapter 10, verse number 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. So the writer of Hebrews says the curtain, the veil that was in the tabernacle was really the body of Jesus Christ. And when that body was ripped open on Calvary, bam, the veil is rent from the top to bottom and now every single one of us can come into the presence of Almighty God. How do we come? By the blood, by the blood. The blood first cleanses us, sanctifies us, then it grants me access. And so he says, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, what should we do? Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. To have our conscience clean, we needed the greater sacrifice. And that greater sacrifice was the Lord Jesus Christ. The blood and bulls and goats could only cleanse the outside a greater sacrifice was needed to cleanse the inside. And now we are that tabernacle where God dwells. And so his blood allows me to worship God. His blood allows me to serve the living God. Why? Because its blood has made me holy. Now, here's the rub. Satan comes along and he says, you're no good. He said, you've done this sin, you've done that sin, you've messed up here, you've messed up there, and he tries to drag every sin against us that we've ever done. I will tell you, the devil has no longer any legal standing in our hearts and in our lives. And tell the devil where to go with all of his accusations. Why? Because I have been made holy by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So right now, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am holy, sanctified, pure today, not because of me, but because I have received his blood, his sacrifice for my life. Mm, it's good stuff. You say, Pastor, you know, let me just, I gotta be honest with you. Today, I'm, I was coming to church and I yelled at my wife and I yelled at my kids and I've got these sins I've done. You are the righteousness of God right now in Christ Jesus. You say, well, I, I, tomorrow, I, I plan on sinning tomorrow. <laughs> you don't plan on it, but I just, you know, I'm afraid I'm gonna stumble and fall. I'm afraid I'm gonna sin. I'm afraid I'm gonna fail God again. What about those sins yet to come? You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have been made holy by the blood. He cleanses you. There is there, therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He forgives you of your sins past, present, and future. That's how strong and powerful the blood of Jesus Christ is. Wow, 
We don't have to bring animal sacrifices again and again and again. Jesus Christ is that perfect one-time sacrifice and he says we are made holy, not by my good works, not by, by trying to keep the law, but not by my own efforts in any way, shape, or form. We are made holy by that sinless blood of Jesus, period, end of story. He cleanses our temple. Now, the Romans had this mentality. They heard Paul's teaching about who we are in Christ Jesus, no condemnation, all those things, and they asked the question, can I continue in sin? That grace may abound? What's Paul say? God forbid. How can you who used to live in that lifestyle return back to that old lifestyle? In fact, when I've been made holy by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't want to do that junk anymore. It messed me up. It took me down. It was no good for me. And so I don't want to live in that old kind of lifestyle anymore. And if I return to live in that kind of lifestyle, Paul says, whomever you choose to serve, you become a slave of that person, whether of sin unto death or of, of righteousness unto life. And so because I've been made holy by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to love God, I want to serve him, I want to follow him because it's the most exciting, joyful life on the face of the earth. I don't want to do that junk anymore. So to think, you know what, I'm saved, I can do whatever I want to, that's just kind of a, a reverse kind of negative thinking. You, you're, you're just want-tos are all changed because there's nothing there, only emptiness and sin and heartache and pain. Hmm. Hmm. Romans 6.1, God forbid. You don't want to live in that bondage anymore and condemnation is gone through the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because his blood, not my goodness, not keeping the law, his blood, and that alone has made me holy. Are you getting the impact of God's grace? The second reason it's greater. The blood of Jesus Christ is greater because it removes our sins. Now, I want you to think about, let's go back, look at uh, verse 11 again. Day after day, priest stands and performs religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But when the priest had offered, but when this priest, talking about Jesus Christ, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, here's the, here's the deal. The blood of bulls and goats could only cover your sin. So on the day of atonement, they would come and they would have the judgment seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. When the blood was poured over that and that, that year after year, that would become a blood-stained Ark of the Covenant. When the blood was poured over it, the judgment seat became the mercy seat. But the blood still could only cover sin. Okay, But he said the greater sacrifice, the blood of Jesus Christ, takes away sins, removes it. And it deals that way then with our conscience because my sin is gone, not just covered over. Yeah. Heard the expression sweeping it under the rug? This is not sweeping it under the rug. This is God coming in, taking it away. Doesn't mean you're not tempted. 
Doesn't mean there's not a warfare going on between the flesh and the spirit man, but I have been made free from Satan's power over me. So that now because that sin is taken away, I don't have to follow the way of the enemy. I don't have to sin every day, every hour, every moment because he has taken, broken the power of sin over me because it's not just covered up, it's taken away. Wow. I no longer have to fear divine judgment. Look at chapter 10 again, verses two to four. He says there, if it could, if it could would they not have stopped being offered? In other words, it was, if it was effective. For the worshipers would have to come and be cleansed once and for all, would no longer have felt guilty for their sin. So even though their sin was covered by the animal sacrifice, they still felt guilty. They still felt like this really isn't enough. Still had all those emotions. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. Let me, let, me, let me put it this way for you. If you're sick and the doctor says, take these pills, but you gotta take one every day and you gotta take them the rest of your life because if you don't, you will suffer in tremendous pain and, and you will die. So what do you do? You take that pill day after day after day. But the pill, even though you may not have the symptoms and the pill helps with the symptoms, it also reminds you that you are still sick. Because if you were totally healthy, you wouldn't have to take those pills anymore. Comprende? Are you getting this? The blood and bulls and goats, because they had to keep going back over and over again, reminded them they were still sick, they still needed a savior, they were still in their sins. Because they had to keep taking that pill. You get this? But with the Lord Jesus Christ, he forgives, he takes the sin away, he takes the guilt away, and I don't have to take that pill every single day the rest of my life because I have been cleansed by the blood once and for all from the Lord Jesus Christ. He describes it this way. He says, the ministry of the priest was never done. They would stand in the tabernacle day after day. The priests would all be lined up there. Animals would be brought to them for their sin offerings. The priest would get into that bloody sacrifice. We have this sanctified view of what's going on in the tabernacle. It was a bloody mess. It would be all of their robes and their garments. His blood would spew everywhere. And they would stand hour after hour after hour. You can imagine the Day of Atonement or, or, or the Passover time, these, these great festival times when all the sacrifices to be brought in at one time. Just imagine the slaughter and imagine the blood. But he said, Jesus Christ not only offered his sacrifice once and for all, but it's done because he is now seated at the right hand of God, signifying the sacrifice has been done. He's not standing anymore offering up himself. It's been done. His work has been completed. He said, it is finished, and he sat down. Now, listen to me. I, I want to bring something up this morning. Go to, go to Hebrews 9 and verses 25 and 26. He said, nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again. Just what I just said to you. The way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood that is not his own. Then Jesus would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but now he has appeared once and for all, the end of the age, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. In other words, there is, and I want, and I want to share this with you, there is in Catholic, Catholic theology what I call the perpetual suffering of Jesus Christ. But in the word of God, he suffered once and for all. 
Now, uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not bashing the Catholic Church, but I want to show up, show the philo- uh, fallacy of their doctrine. And so let me, and some of you came out of the Catholic Church, and some of you may still uh, hold on to the Catholic Church in some way or the other. But there is a great fallacy in their doctrine, and, and it's shown by some of the things they do. First of all, if you've ever noted the crucifix, it's the Catholic cross. And the body is always on the cross. And so when they wear a crucifix with Jesus Christ hanging there, what they are saying is the sacrifice of Jesus was not once and for all. It's a perpetual, ongoing sacrifice. That's why they always have in their imagery Christ remaining on the cross. And it's a part of their theology. It's not just a preference in decorations or what kind of cross you wear. The Protestant cross is empty because we believe Christ was sacrificed once and for all and is risen and is now seated at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. The cross is the reminder of our victory, but Christ has already been killed. Now, now let, let, me, let me share the theology. Ludwig Ott was a Catholic theologian. He said this, inasmuch as the priesthood of Christ is perpetual and the sacrifice is an essential part of the priesthood, therefore the sacrificial offering of Christ must also be perpetual. So Christ is dying again and again and again. And then it's played out every time they take the mass. And so they take the mass and it's, it's their way. And, it, and, and all this contradicts what's written in Hebrews chapter 10. And you see it again in verse 28. Christ was sacrificed once and once and for all. So at the Council of Trent, they're establishing Catholic theology and they say this, Holy Mass is a true and proper sacrifice. So every time you take Mass, it becomes a sacrifice. The bread is the body of Christ. The cup becomes blood. It is physical and propitiatory. Removing sins and conferring grace of repentance. So they believe in their theology that every time they take mass, that that bread becomes the body of Christ. The blood literally, the cup of wine literally becomes the blood of Jesus Christ. And that Christ's sacrifice is being done again and again and again. And unless you come to mass, you cannot be saved. The only trouble is it contradicts all that we just read about in Hebrews chapter 10. That Christ is the eternal sacrifice. He is the perfect sacrifice once and for all. We don't need to bring the blood of bulls and goats over and over again every year. We don't have to re-sacrifice in our minds Christ over and over again every year. Because his sacrifice is effectual once and for all. That's why in our theology, and we're going to take communion in a little bit, that the bread is symbolic of the body of Jesus Christ, and the cup that we will drink from is symbolic of his blood that is shed for us. But I am already saved and forgiven through my faith, through the blood that Jesus Christ has already spilt for me. It also contradicts Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, when it says we are saved by grace through faith. And so it's not through going through mass. It's not by being baptized in water. It's not by coming to church every Sunday. It's not by giving in the offering. It's not by doing good works for the poor around me. I'm saved, but by grace, by the blood of Jesus Christ, only by putting my faith in what Christ did for me, period, end of story. It is not grace plus works. Mm, mm, mm. I'm not saved through penance. I'm not saved through the partaking of the mass. Are all Catholics lost? By no means. 
There are many, many, many thousands and millions who have come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and they understand his grace and they have a relationship with him. And I would venture to say not everybody in this house is saved. It's not about religion, it's about relationship. And it's the blood of Jesus Christ that gives us access into his holy, holy presence and that alone. And that sacrifice, he says, was once and for all. That's why it is a greater sacrifice because it not just covered sins, uh, so I had to get it covered again year after year. It took my sins away. Now I stand righteous and holy and clean and pure before him because of his blood. Hallelujah. The third thing, I gotta hurry. It is a greater sacrifice because it literally destroys our enemies. The blood of Jesus destroys our enemies. Enemies. Look at verse number 13, and you gotta see this. This is awesome. It says, since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. None of the Old Testament sacrifices could do anything about the power of sin in your life. None of the old animal sacrifices could ever set you free from sin. The blood of bulls and goats could not do that, it could not cleanse the conscience, and it wouldn't take care of your enemy. But on the cross, the Bible says, the power of Satan was broken. Mm. Jesus told us, anyone who commits sin becomes a slave of sin. So only the Son of God can set us free and break that power of bondage in our life. And so it's his blood that frees me from the tyranny and power of Satan so I don't have to do what Satan tells me anymore. Jesus Christ is stronger and greater and his blood has already broken that power. Paul says in Romans six sixteen, those who obey sin are slaves of sin, he says, which leads to death. But it says in Colossians 2 and verse 13, Uh, 15, Paul says that Christ, when he died on the cross, disarmed principalities, powers, and dominions, and the rulers of wickedness in heavenly places. Uh, He may go around like a roaring lion, but his teeth have been pulled, and all he can do is roar and accuse. He has no power over us anymore. We are set free of the power of Satan by the blood of the cross. And because of the blood of the cross, there is coming a day when that last enemy, death, will be swallowed up in victory and everything will be placed underneath his feet. But the victory was won when Christ died on the cross. It is finished. We win. Wow. The cost of the battle, the cost of that victory was the life of Jesus Christ. But I will tell you, he was a temporary casualty of war Because three days later, he walks out of that tomb, triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. He took Satan's most powerful weapon, which is death. He took it with him on his body on the cross. He took it with him into the grave, and he carried that into the grave. But look, if you would, at Hebrews 2. Go back there. Look at verse number 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, that by his death, he might destroy him, who holds the power of death. It's interesting, the writer of Hebrews attributes his victory to the cross, not the empty tomb. You see that? Did I just read that to you? By his death, not his resurrection, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, 
That is the devil. And listen to me. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery to the fear of death. I, 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 I uh, had the privilege of, of doing uh, Dewey's funeral service. And as we began to look at his life and his body was in a casket down there, I could make that a victory celebration. Why? Because through Christ's death, the power of death in Dewey's life or our life or anybody else's life who is covered by the blood has been broken. And so that when Dewey left this world, he immediately went into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Through the cross, all those who've been in fear and bondage to death that's been broken. And so for the child of God, it is a promotion. It is a graduation. We go to a better life. All because of the greater sacrifice. It was the sacrifice of Jesus that made all that possible. Satan may threaten and roar, but his weapons have been taken away from him. And it happened when Christ died on the cross. First John five eighteen. Anyone born of God does not continue in sin, but the one who was born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. So if you've been born of God, you are kept safe from the evil one. So the blood takes away my sin, makes me holy, cleanses my temple, but also covers me from the attack of the enemy. You've many have heard the phrase covered in the blood of Jesus. I am covered in the blood of Jesus. Satan can't cross the bloodline. He can't harm me. He may tempt and he may growl and he may accuse, but he holds no power over my life anymore. It's been broken on Calvary. I'm free, free, free in Christ Jesus. Mm. Only in Christ can he turn death into victory so that we say like the Apostle Paul, to die is gain. We win. You don't have to be afraid of death anymore. I wanna close with a story. And then we're going to take communion. That high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. He would offer up the blood for the children of Israel on the Day of Atonement. And everybody would gather, all the nations of Israel would gather outside of the tabernacle. They would all come together for that one grand day. And they would wait, wait. And those minutes seemed like hours, and those hours seemed like days, and they would wait in anticipation for that high priest to come out of the Holy of Holies and come out to where the people were. Because when he would come out, it would mean the sacrifice that was made had been accepted. And when he would come walking out, finally out of the tabernacle, after all the sacrifices had been made, after all the ceremonies had been followed through, what would happen is the children of Israel would begin to cheer and shout and scream and were joy because now their sins were covered one more year and it set off a grand celebration because the sacrifice had been accepted. Now, fast forward. Jesus Christ died on the cross. The Bible says he went up into the heavenly realms into a tabernacle not made with hands. And there he offered up his own blood. And now he is seated at the right hand of the heavenly father and the church is waiting. And one day the father's gonna say, it's time, son, it's time. Go back and get my blood washed, redeemed church of the living God. It's time to go back and get him and he's gonna come again and the church is gonna rise up to meet him in the air and we're gonna shout and we're gonna sing and we're gonna rejoice and forever we will be with the Lord in his presence. Fullness of joy, fullness of peace, fullness of life.
The last enemy conquered and vanquished once and for all because he's going to come out of the tabernacle. The blood's been accepted. We've come into the family of God, and he's going to come and take us home and set off that day of rejoicing. And when he's coming back, he's not coming as a babe born in a manger in all humility taking on flesh. He's not going to come as a king riding in on a donkey, but he's going to come as the king of the entire universe, king of kings and lord of lords. Why? Because the greater sacrifice is Jesus. And it's already been made and paid. And now the Bible says he's got grace and it's free to all who will believe. And if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved because he will take away your sin he'll make you holy and he'll give you victory over every single one of your enemies thanks for listening to the faith church podcast we are one church at five locations streaming online every sunday morning at live.faithishere.org we hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.